0: Oh my goodness. If you ever see a small group like that in coastline, run away, run away fast as you can. Oh, that's terrible. That is, that is something else. Um, yeah, small groups are happening out on the, uh, information table. There's, um, uh, a booklet that's showing all the a pamphlet showing all the small groups that are available and that's online as well. I want to give a, a, one more commercial for small groups. Um, I've been a part of small groups for well on two decades now. I'm in two men's groups right now. Uh, this morning, before all this began, at 845 this morning, Tim held a small group in this back room for everybody that was up on stage. Uh, folks, I've done church already. I mean, that this isn't church. That was church. That 15 minutes of Tim sharing a little bit of what he got from today's reading and sharing some challenges that some people were having and some ways we could love one another in the midst of those challenges... We listened to worship songs. We said a prayer of sending out into doing this today. We were on fire, folks. Small group. Thank you, Tim, for doing that. That was awesome. That's what small groups do. But they do more than that. Aaron has said, you won't know the heartbeat of Coastline Church unless you get involved in a small group. And he's absolutely right about that. There's no doubt. You're never going to get a chance to know what this church is about unless you get connected one-on-one with people. I want to go a step further than that. You will not know the fullness of God in your life until you get connected with other people seeking that same goodness, that same fullness in their life. You're not going to know it. It just can't happen organically with 120 people sitting here or with 40 or 50 people out on the patio or five minutes passing by saying, hi, how are you? It just can't happen. Not consistently anyways. Two two weeks ago, I was meeting in, in one of my small groups. And it's kind of sharing some of the thoughts I was having about being up here on stage. Um, I I don't mind being up here. This is, this is awesome, but honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to do a small group thing right now. I'm going to be honest with you. This style of church bothers me. One man, big audience that troubles me. Um, And I was sharing that with a friend and this friend said that he went to a church that who, it was a giant church and, and this pastor was really well known and he would get up and he would say to everybody as he started, he would say, I'm just a fat guy trying to find my way to heaven. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he wasn't being self deprecating on himself. He was it was real. He's just f- trying to find his way. Folks, I don't have any authority. I don't have any great position above you. I'm I'm my only position above you is that I'm six foot five and I'm on about a twelve foot twelve inch pedestal here. That's it. The Jesus that's in you is exactly the same as the Jesus in me. I don't have any special right to be here. I'm just a fat guy trying to find my way to heaven. <laughs> just like you are as well. We're on this journey together. That's what small groups does. That one statement to me just sort of took away the, the burdens I was going to try to carry up here with me. And it just it just equalized it. In fact, small groups, most of what I'm going to talk about today has come out of small group meetings. It's come out of meeting with Joe and with Todd and with, with other folks here that just one-on-one and in groups together with Bob. You know, Bob shows up yesterday to help move somebody. I mean, you know, just amazing time of just coming together. Dave, Dave and I have done things for years. Most of what I see, what I, what I, what's bubbling out of me today has come from discussions not on a Sunday morning. That's why it's so important to go pick up a pamphlet today, to get online and look for a small group. And if you're in a small group that you're not getting that kind of connection, dump them, leave them, walk away from them. It's okay. They're, they're, they'll get over it, you know. you got to find the small group that you connect with, that it's, that it's right, that it's organically correct. You're going to get moved around. God's going to move you to different small groups. That's the way it's meant to be but get into a small group it's going to change your life guys you're not going to know God without it all right today uh god's been really putting on my heart something that i'm seeing an epidemic happening in our society something that is really challenging to me and it's all built around this word victim i don't care what news station you watch i don't care what newspaper you read look at how many times the word victim is used it, 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 there's victims everywhere now i'm not i'm, I'm not opposed to i, I don't Bad stuff happens, and when bad stuff happens, we're victimized by that bad stuff. That, I, I, that's, just a, that's just a natural thing. But what really has me challenged is I think this word victim is starting to shape our identity. We're beginning as a society to think that there's some adv- advantages or perks to being called a victim. We want to be in the, in the group of victims without going through the pain and the terror and the horror of being victimized. See, we're allowing victimhood to shape our identity, and that's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous because if I get to a place where I so totally think that I'm a victim, that if anything I touch turns bad, that any place I go, I'm going to be hurt by that, if that kind of mentality is part of my identity or takes over my identity, I'm in a place where I can become a victimizer. The kid's at Columbine. The kid uh, did school shooting over uh, on the East Coast. A guy had held those women for 10 years. I'm in no way condoning. I'm in no way making an excuse for what they did. But I'll bet you they thought themselves so profound as victims that the only place they could go to see any power is to do the unthinkable. The victim becomes the victimizer. Should they be punished to the fullest extent of the law? But we have to understand what's going on. This is happening in our society. As dangerous. As, and, and by the way, this isn't a bunch of psychological mumbo jumbo that I'm talking here. Although go search victim syndrome and it'll blow you away. What I'm talking about is real. And I'm talking about it from a personal place. See, it hasn't been too long ago that I was in a place where, where, where I just couldn't get things right. I, I would just, I, I just, everything I touched turned bad, or at least that's the way I saw it. I thought I was failing as a husband and a father, and as a churchgoer. Just all these things. Hopelessness was creeping in so deeply into my soul. I started to think of myself as such a victim. My identity was changing in such a way that I would allow circumstances to come into my life that could victimize the ones closest to me. This is real to me, folks. It's not only an epidemic out there, it's an epidemic in here. I don't have time to share with you the journey of these last couple of years. If, if, you, if, that, if that resonates with you in any way, call me up, let's have a cup of coffee. I'll share, I'll tell you everything that's going on. Um, this epidemic has to be changed. As dangerous as this epidemic is outside of the church... Because it changes society. It is devastating inside the church. For us to think that we are victims. Man, it changes the effectiveness that we have. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I believe that the reason that the church feels ineffective at changing society today is because we have forgotten who we are. We've lost track of our identity. Worse than that, we have built up an identity That isn't from God. This has to stop. If we want to affect our community, our family, our world, we got to figure out who we are. So that begs the question, who are we? Who am I? Who are you? If you were to walk up to me today and say, John, I don't know you. Who are you? Tell me who you are. The thoughts that would run through my mind instantaneously and what I would probably say to you. I'm telling you right now, those thoughts that we have when we're asked who we are, they have nothing to do with our identity. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a churchgoer. I'm a car enthusiast. I'm a hamburger lover. You know, all these things. I, I can go from profound to minutia. And I start to think that that's my identity. That's the way we think. Take a look at this verse with me from 1 John chapter 3. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Hang on to that word lavished. Don't let it go in your life. When bad things happen to you, it feels like God, huh, he's forgotten about us. He's lavished his love on us. He doesn't eke it out. He doesn't dole it out. He doesn't he didn't ration it out to us. He lavishes his love on us. Why does he do it? That we should be called Children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And I could change that last verse around a little bit. The world, the reason the world doesn't know our power or the power of God is because we don't know who we are. First note in your, uh, in your outline there, who am I? I am God's child. That's it, folks. That's our identity. We can't add to it. Our roles can't take away from it. We are God's child. The verse that we just read says absolutely nothing about the roles that we play. It doesn't say anything about God uh, lavishing his love on me so I could be a good husband or a good father or a good provider or, or a good hamburger lover. It didn't say anything about that. It said he lavished his love on me so I could be called God's child. That's my identity. Now, roles are important. Roles are important in in our identity. And, and I put this sentence in your notes because it's, just, it's really just a key sentence for us to grasp onto. The roles that you play work to shape how your identity as God's child is used by God to fulfill the destiny of the plan he has for your life. The roles are used, are shaped through our identity so that our destiny can match up to God's plan. See, we do things backwards. You know, the Bible, everything we do, we do completely opposite of the Bible. It says you want to be first, you be last in the Bible. You want to live, you die. You want to lead, you follow. You know, everything we do, it's exactly opposite. We, we do exactly the opposite of what the Bible says all the time. The way we discover, what we do to discover our identity is we go out there and do things. We join the Peace Corps. We go sit on a mountain, stare at our navel. You know, we go, uh, we go uh, you know, get a job and try to find success. We try to define our identity by what we do. And in fact, there may be some of you here are new believers and, and, uh, I'm going to say something Aaron. I'm glad Aaron's not here. I hope he doesn't hear this. Uh, if you're a new believer and you don't know who you are yet, do not join a dream team. It's the biggest waste of time for you and for us. It will burn you out doing something for God to try to figure out who you are in God's eyes. You will get disappointed. You will, you will come up short. Why am I saying this? I've been there. I've done that. I've done every job on this campus, every one of them. And I'm telling you, I've done it from the wrong motives in the past. And I've got to the place where I didn't even want to come to church anymore because I'm so sick of it. I'm not sick of church. I'm sick of trying to find out who I am by doing something. And folks, the church will use you till you drop dead. (laughs) We need you badly. We need every hand possible, right? And we'll burn you out, not on purpose, but because you're there. If you do something from a place, this is how God does. If we do things from the perspective of knowing who we are, we will have power, authority, perseverance, energy, stamina. We will have the ability to go the long road and we will have the ability to say no. That's the amazing part. I can't tell you how many times I've told Aaron and other pastors. No, John, will you do this? No, I won't do that. No, I'm not doing it. Why? Because I don't have to do it. It's not what God was drawing me into. Where before I would have been obligated to do it because I might miss discovering who I am. God wants us to go and do from the perspective of who we are. We are God's child. Second point in your notes. My identity empowers the roles I play. Not the other way around. The roles I play doesn't do anything for my identity. My identity empowers the roles I play. You want to be a good spouse in your marriage? Go into your marriage today as a child of God's. Don't go in there trying to be a good husband to prove you're a child of God's. You'll mess it up. And, folks, we're going to make mistakes. You know, that's just how it is. I'm going to be a bad husband every now and then, just once. Only, I've, Barbara, I've only been bad one time. Remember, don't, don't bring it up. Every day we make mistakes. But I'm going into my marriage differently now. We've been married 27 years. It's, it's different. I'm going into my marriage knowing who I am. And it's changing our relationship. And it's changing our relationship. Our identity empowers the roles roles I play. Please don't let the roles you play empower your identity. It's going to kill you. I'm just telling you, it'll kill you. It's the same with being a victim. I don't in any way want to minimize the pain that those women felt in Cleveland or the suffering that those parents went through from those school shootings. I, by saying the next thing I'm going to say, I don't in any way want to take away from the horror that those people felt, from the being victimized by evil in this world. But when bad things happen to us, when we are a victim, Folks, it's nothing more than a role we're playing at that time. Just like me being a husband, just like me being a father, when bad things happen to me, it's a role that I play. And all roles that we play are temporary. When we die, they're going away. They will never. I will not be a husband in heaven. I won't be a father in heaven. I will not be victimized in heaven. Victim is a role that we play right now. And it has a purpose. And we can't let it shape our identity. See, Jesus Christ didn't die on that cross to make us a victim. He did not die to make us a victim. He didn't die to make me a husband or a father or a hamburger lover. He did not die to make me a victim either. He died to make me a victor. He died to bring me into an eternal relationship with my creator that makes me his child. I am a son of the king. That's what Christ did for me. That is eternal. It never changes. I'm a, I'm a son of the king now. I will be a son of the king forever and ever because of what Christ did. Everything that affects my roles here on earth are temporary. My identity does not change. The blood of Christ was a ransom so that we could be called children of God. And be victors because of that. But here's what we do: we cut, we sort of grasp that thing, victor, right? And then we immediately jump to the word victory. We want victory, of course we do. We want to win. One of the mistakes I believe the church has made over these last couple thousand years: we have put way too much emphasis on victorious living, on being a being, being um, of ha- having victory in our life rather than focusing on being a victor. Now, I'm not saying we don't see victory. Folks, we, we parade people up on stage all the time that, that have had healings from cancers and you know, released from demonic possession and from, from uh, having, uh, uh, you know, being set free from addictions and marriages healed miraculously. We have, we have stories, abundant stories like that. But what about the rest of us who are sitting here waiting for our victory? See, we have to know that we are victors while we're still waiting. If there's a mistake that the church has made, as I think, is we haven't focused enough on the fact that we are victors, no matter what our circumstance looks like, no matter if our victory has come yet or not. Take a look at uh, these four verses that I put up from Psalm 34. I wanted to read the whole Psalm because this Psalm, if you want to read any chapter in the Bible that oozes victorious living, read Psalm 34. It will both encourage you and depress you at the same time. It'll encourage you because the promises are outlandish. I mean, this is what I want as a follower of Christ. They'll depress you because I don't always get these things. So I pulled four out for us to take a look at. In bold, I've highlighted the promises. Take a look. Verse 4. He will deliver deliver me from all my fears. Yeah, I like that. He will save me out of Look at that. Out of, not through. He will save he will take me out of all of my troubles. That sounds really good. Doesn't it? I think that's what it's saying. Look at I mean He's not saying I will walk you through, I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death." no, he's saying I will save you out of your troubles. I will bless you I will lack nothing. Does anybody here lack anything right now? I do. Does anybody need to be blessed? I do. Has anybody got any troubles? I guarantee you today we'll have four pages of prayer requests that we'll be praying for. That's a lot of troubles happening in this church right now. Has anybody got any fears? Here's what we do, because we answer yes to those things. We've got those things in my life. So we look at the word and we say, okay, you know, this is promises. God's making promises. So let me see, let me look at this. Oh, wait a minute. It looks like there's a formula here. Oh, if I seek the Lord, he'll get rid of all my fears. Oh, if I seek the Lord, all I need to do is learn how to seek the Lord better, and all my fears will go away. If I am poor, if I'm meek, if I'm not... Prideful and arrogant. If I can lay down my pride before the Lord, He'll save me out of all my troubles. Oh, all I got to do is get in a small group. Hey, Joe, can you teach me how to not be, you know, how to not be prideful? Joe, you're you're a humble man. Teach me how to be humble, right? If I could do that, I'd be saved. If I take refuge in Him, I'll be blessed. I don't even know what take refuge in Him means. Can somebody explain that to me? I want to be blessed, so explain that to me, so I can have it. If I if I will fear the Lord, what in the heck does fear the Lord? mean, then I will lack nothing. I better go to church more. I better start listening more sermons so I can learn what fear the Lord means. Cause I don't want to, I don't, I want everything. I'm an engineer. I love formulas. If I do a God does B, that's what I, that's what I want. Hey, you know, I, gosh, I, this sounds like that. If I do this, God, it's your responsibility to do the other. Have you ever tried that with your wife or your kids? It works really well with my dog, but it doesn't work with anybody else. And it doesn't work with God either. God will not allow me to create a formula to get to him and to get out of him what I need because the formula will become God. He will not allow that to happen. Not because he wants to punish me, because that's not good enough. A formula is not good enough to replace God. Third point in your notes. Victory is guaranteed. Those four verses in all of Psalm 34 and every bit of the Bible is guaranteed to happen when viewed from eternity. Not from earth. See, we read the Bible from the earth looking up. Right? That's how we read the Bible. Oh, if I do this, God will do that. Right? God sees the Bible. From the earth, from uh, heaven, looking down. God's not—we're—we're not, we're, we're not going to change God's perspective. I can tell you right now, we're not going to say God. If you would just see it my way, you would see things the way the Bible should be. Now that's—that's that's not how it's going to work. God's saying, "Come up to my level, and let me see, let me show you what's going on." We've got to start viewing things from the heavenly perspective, and then victory is guaranteed. We're always victors. Victory is guaranteed from the heavenly perspective. You know the difference between the word victor and the word victory? Get your pens ready. This is going to be profound. The difference between victor and victory is the letter Y. That's it. It's one stinking letter. One letter is the difference. And in fact, if you take that cross, if I could pull that cross down... And tear the top part of it off, just bend it down backwards so you can't see it anymore. And take the two arms and bend them up about 15, 20, 30 degrees like that, you get the letter Y. You get the difference between victor and victory. All I gotta do is tweak what Jesus did a little bit so I can get a letter, so I can put it to what I am, so I can receive what I want. That's what we do with the Word of God. Folks, I I'm not I'm not pointing fingers, I'm telling you what I do. This is what I do all the time. This is so, this is so. Problematic because I want victory. The letter Y. Here's another profound statement. The letter Y. It sounds like a word. Why? Has, it rhymes with why, right? When bad things happen to us, next week you get profound from Aaron. Don't you know, this, this week you get me? Sorry. The, why? Why do these bad things happen? We had a pastor come and speak to us uh, about six months ago. He was an Australian guy. Great hair. Remember that guy amazing hair. This guy was a dude. I'm telling you In the service I was at he went down a path He went down a little rabbit trail just went off track from his sermon He didn't he didn't go down any other sermon that way And he asked why do bad things happen to good people? The letter y why why do bad things happen to good people? I want to take it a little closer to home Sitting over here is ed ed fink Ed ed has great hair too, by the way ed love that hair, man (laughs) Ed is a dude Ed Ed plays drums sometimes on on Sunday morning You can't see him because he screams But he plays drums He rocks it out He is a really nice guy He's a great friend If you don't know Ed, get to know him He'll do anything for you I've known Ed a long time His son Cubby sitting here I've known Cubby since he was this big He's married now to beautiful Rebecca here. I mean, their daughter used to babysit our kids. My little girl over here, 21 years old, used to babysit my kids. Unbelievable. We've been together a long time. Ed's a nice guy. As nice as Ed is, his wife Patrice, sitting next to him, blows him out of the water. (laughs) Now, men, Aaron has said this, and it's true. We all marry up. We all do. Ed, you married way above your head, son. (laughs) I'm telling you right now. Uh, Patrice, you're the nicest person I've ever met. I look into your eyes and I get peace. Uh, She knows Jesus in a way we never will. I know you don't know that. I know you don't feel that sometimes, but you do. Patrice has MS. It angers me to no end to say that. Patrice has multiple sclerosis. Why? Why? Why would such a horrible thing happen to such a nice person, to such a beautiful family in this church? That's wrong, people. That's absolutely wrong. I get so angry over that. I get so mad at God. It's not right. This pastor says to deal with that question. You know, by the way. That question is really—it just defines the crossroads where we will either let some element of, of victimhood shape our identity, or we will unleash the reality that we're victors, no matter what the circumstances. That is the crossroads in our life. That question: Why? Why does this happen? That's where we're going to be, some place in our life, no matter what. We're going to be in exactly the same place. It may not be MS. It may be something. We may get a scratch. You know, I—I'm I, I, such a wimp. You know, that's what happens when I just hurt myself. I'm I, why god why me that's gonna be that same thing and i've got to unleash the reality that I am a victor No matter what the circumstance is The pastor said that in order for us to deal with that question. We have got to agree on two points Number one bad stuff just happens in this world It just happens I don't know the instance of ms in the church versus outside the church. I, I would venture to guess it's exactly the same patrice isn't being targeted bef- because she's a christian that's not what evil does. Not on something like that. it just happens. She just happens to have MS. He said, we've got to agree on number one point. Bad stuff just happens. Second point, he said, can we just agree with what the Bible says? The Bible says he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. He said, can we agree on that? The Jesus that's in Patrice is so much greater than the evil behind MS that afflicts her. Is Patrice victimized by MS? Oh, you bet she is. She has to fight to get out of bed to come here. I saw her Thursday night. Shared this with her. She shared some thoughts about what's going on. She's been victimized by this. Is she a victim? Has her identity been changed? Absolutely not. Whether she knows it or not, she is a victor. No matter what her circumstance is, because she has been bought with the blood of Christ and she is a child of the kings. Do we pray for her healing? Do we believe that God can heal her? You bet we do. But Patrice said something that was profound. She said, John, if belief was all that we needed for me to be healed, I'd have been healed 10 years ago. That woman has belief that she can be healed. Why it hadn't happened? We both get depressed, we both get angry. We both get confounded by that question. But it does not change the reality. She is a victor, and I'm a victor, and you are a victor because of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> See, a victor expecting total victory in this lifetime is what makes a believer ripe to be a victim. If I, bel- if I expect... All my prayers to be answered how I want them, when I want them, and the way I want them. I'm going to be set up for disappointment, and I'm going to start to believe that I'm a victim. You see, Satan knows the score. You know we're reading reading the entire Bible together, and I hate to I'm, I'm going to skip to the end. I'm going to I'm going to tell you that I'm going to tell the end for it right here, folks. The end is God wins. Simple as that. It's what the entire Bible is speaking about. God wins. In Patrice's life, God wins. In your life, all the things that you're facing right now, God wins. Satan knows that, and it ticks him off. He's angry. He knows he has no hope of winning this battle. Oh, there's skirmishes. He gets the advantage every now and then. But he has no hope of winning the war that God has against evil in this world. And what he's doing, he has an objective. He wants you and I to get so far off of our knowledge of who we are that we start to doubt our our power in being God's child. In fact, we start to doubt that God is good. It's not a new play, it's what he did with Adam and Eve. He always wants us to get the doubt, to doubt the goodness of God. And when we doubt the goodness of God, we start to believe that God may be the one that's causing all this victim stuff to happen to us. What's his objective? Create some bad stuff to happen. Let the world progress the way it does so that we get cancer or we lose a job or we have a child that goes wayward or we have a hiccup in our marriage or our church falls apart or whatever. Some something that happens to us and we start to look at God and say, you are the biggest victimizer of them all. That's what he wants so that we can be separated from God for all eternity. Now, I'm not saying that we, if we have bad thoughts against God or we, we question God or I get angry at God, I'm going to hell. I'm not saying that at all. I get mad at God all the time. God's pretty big. He can handle my little pity parties that I throw at him. In fact, I think he loves it because he loves the relationship. He wrestled with Jacob. Why would God wrestle with a stupid man? Why? And Jacob was winning. Do you think Jacob was winning that? God loved the closeness of being together and being in the dirt and Jacob being so mad and angry and beating on God. He loved the relationship. That's what he loves in our life. The epidemic we're facing in society today is that we are allowing our identity to be co-opted, allowing society to shape who we are, allowing this issue of victimhood to take over our identity and we're losing the power of it. We need to change that. We need to make it different. We need to have power in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces, in the community that we serve, in this church. We need to have power. And it comes from who we are, not what we do. I want to close with this. There's several statements I want to go through that talk about the difference between victim thinking and victor thinking. I'm not talking about those times that we're victimized. I'm talking about when victimhood has taken over our identity. A victim is going to be timid. He's going to sit on the sidelines. He's not going to feel he has authority to move out and do things. Folks, I'm not talking about evangelizing and sharing Christ and bringing people to church. I'm not. That'll happen. That's whatever that is. I'm talking about in our marriages. I will be timid in my marriage. I won't know how to show love to my wife the way she knows it, needs it. Because I'm a victim. I'm thinking, I'll always fail. Victors are bold. We're going to move out. We're going to go for it. We'll mess it up. Many, many times, believe me, we'll mess it up. But we're going for it. Victims are half two kind of people. I woke up yesterday. My first thought, we were helping some people move. My first thought was, I have to go help this person move. Aaron helped me change that kind of thinking. I quickly changed it to, I get to. There's something God has for me. I pulled up and there were three guys here, Randy and Bob, a couple other guys that aren't here today. I didn't know they were coming and they showed up. I went from zero to hero just like that because I got to show up. I had the opportunity. Bob's got leukemia, for gosh sakes. He didn't wake up saying, I have to come move this person. He got to get up and show up and bless us with his presence. That's amazing. That's Victor thinking. That's Victor thinking. Victims, we strictly apply the rules and regulations in an effort of trying to get as many things right as we can so we don't look bad or we don't disappoint God or we... Or or you fill in the blank. Folks, there's a stench to that that repels people. That's called legalism. That's called a religious spirit. The thinking that we have to do, 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 and get right. We, we, oh man, it's so wrong, folks. Victors can do nothing wrong. Can do nothing wrong. We're gonna make tons of mistakes. I was in a small group this week where I, I, I sent, I accidentally sent out a group text on something. I was asking my wife something that was a personal thing. And it went out to a group text. It went out to a couple I didn't intend it to go to. I'm glad it wasn't that personal, but it was God blew the 3 of us away when that person answered back in a way. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Folks, God's bigger than my mistakes. I can't I can't get it wrong. Yeah, I try to minimize my mistakes, but when it, when it happens, so what? my God is bigger than that. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. To victims, performance is going to drive us all the time, but the results will never satisfy us. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where the results you've, gosh, you just hit that next pinnacle and it's like, so what? Where's the next one? And we start to think less of ourselves and we, st- and, and, and we just buck it up and move on and start doing performing more. Victors We don't need results God always Already thinks we're perfect Results have nothing to do With our walk with God And performance Oh we're going to have Performance in our life We need performance But it's a means to an end Victims were short sighted We look to this lifetime only For our destiny We look to this time lifetime only For the victorious life That God has promised Victors We see beyond eternity And we know the victory Is already ours I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. Or today. Is it tonight? Today. Um, I want you to be bold. I want you to do what I ask you to do. If you've been victimized in any way, anyway, if you have a, if you have a disease, if you have a, if, if somebody said something nasty, if you got cut off on the freeway. If we don't have the right kind of coffee this morning, anything, anything. If you've been victimized, will you raise your hands? Just raise your hands for me. If anything has happened to you that you could say, I was victimized by that. Now look around, look around the hand, keep your hands up. Look around at the hands. Folks, you are not alone. That's what God did for us. We're not alone. That pain that we feel because of that hurt in us, we're not alone. Every one of you have had that same pain. I've got the same pain. But let me tell you something. You're also not alone as a victor. You're not alone. We join with God. I said this earlier. God is forming an army. People in the past, people now, and people to come, who an army to defeat evil. And we're part of it. We're victorious, people. We're victors in that army. Oh, some of us are going to fall by the wayside. Some of us won't make it to the end. And we'll get to see it from the other side. We'll see the victory already happening. That's okay. We're victors. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. God wants us to have a relationship with him that starts today and lasts forever. He wants it to begin. He wants us to know our identity so that the power of God will come through him. For some of you here today, well, for most of us here today, you probably don't know what your identity is. This may be been the first time you really got to grasp an idea, an inkling of who you are in God's eyes. For some of you, it's the first time you're going to do this to allow God to show you who you are. In order to be a child of God's, there's nothing we can do except say yes to Jesus. That's all we can do. We can't earn it. We can't fight for it. We can't demand it. All we can do is say yes to Jesus. If you would like to be called a child of a child of God's, would you raise your hand for me right now? Raise your hand. If you would like to be called a child of God's, it's first, if, even if it's the first time, thank you for all those hands going up. I mean, put your hands down. I want you to say this simple little prayer. If, if it's the first time you've said this or the millionth time you've said it, I want you to say this prayer with me in your head. Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Jesus to bring him, him to me so that I can be God called God's child. Lord, I accept that gift right now. Forgive me of all the wrongdoing in my life. And thank you, God for letting me be brought into the kingdom that you have prepared for me. Thank you for giving me an identity that lasts forever. You can open your eyes. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you asked Jesus into your life for the first time on the bottom of your connection card, there's a place where you can check a box that says this is, I made a first time commitment to Jesus. We'd like to send you an email that just says congratulations and welcome and gives you some ideas of how the church can help you there's also a book out on the table out here called now what it's a great book i've read it a little pamphlet tells you some, some next steps of what you can do to help make this decision real if you don't have a bible pick one up we'd love for you to have a bible get into the word start to see what god's saying about this identity of god's child would you stand with me for a moment Lord, bless us as we go out. Give us the authority of your child to go into this world and to allow our roles to have the power it needs to bring change into this world. Lord, change our thinking today so that we will know, know that we are your child. Father, give us that authority to move in that kind of power. In Jesus' name we pray. Go in that power today. Thank you for being here.